Welcome to the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs, bringing you from zero to 60 in the non-fungible token world without breaking the bank. With your hosts, Andrew, aka Rantum, and George from Mostly Stable on Zed Run, who will help you navigate new projects, interview expert guests, and explore NFT trends. So whether you're on your first or 50th NFT, we're going to have something for you. And as a quick note, we are not, I repeat, not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Alrighty, disclaimer over, let's get to it. Today on All About Affordable NFTs, NFT royalties, should creators get a cut here? We're going to jump into that. But first, Andrew, how's it going? Any new weird purchases in your NFT wallet? Uh, no, no, no purchases recently, but I, uh, unless you notice something that I didn't intend to purchase, but uh, <laughs> random stuff dropping into your wallet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that does happen. I guess I did have one thing that I picked up that was a free item and I swapped out some of my little nouns. Those have, uh, so they've definitely fallen in price lately. Um, but I, I swapped some out from an NFTX pool to some that I thought were an upgrade from what I had anyway. Oh, so wait a minute, you're taking your... Your nouns and you're swapping in the pool was that NFTX, the pool. And basically that's like you could drop in. So hypothetically, as you understand different traits or numbers, there, there, was, there was one, grabs. you know, I'm a big skier and I saw that there was a, uh, a ski gondola and it was a relatively early number. I think it was a number 11, something 1130. It's a relatively old, a lot older than what I had had. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a ski element, so I like it. It has a good look to me. And then I got a little thumbs up that I like the, uh, it's got the black glasses with the, uh, you know, three dots, the RGB um, dots on them. So I like that a little more than what I had. You know, those have definitely taken a, a fallen price. I have noticed you can still, I don't know, you still see some, some going for premium prices. I know you have a top hundred. Don't see those moving too much. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to diamond hands by diamond hands and. Maybe I'll just, I should switch it into a different wallet or something. So it's not even near me. It may end up being the, the single best play of my past year, which will hopefully make up for all of the mistakes. That's what we're all hoping yeah, for, right? Yeah. Oh, are we going to have to do another one of those episodes soon? A, a mistake? I don't think if I have any, any new, I don't know, any new ones-ish. Other than just watching price fall for a long time. And yeah, no, that's, but that's not my fault. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, that's the market's fault. Uh, I picked up an Akutar. I think I told, talked about that the other week. And of course, since picking it up at like uh, 0.5, because that was like my trigger price, uh, it has since dropped to 0.35. So uh, oh, becoming, yeah. becoming affordable. You're, yes, you're at least on a, at a lower price point than, than many of the holders there. But yeah, that's, that's definitely lower than I thought that one was going. Look, here's the game. And you're trying to catch a falling knife price. You're, <laughs> you get stabbed along the way. I got a the life one and the other one i'm i'm proud to say i'm part of the uh team uh rug radio i got a genesis nft with little squiggles on it oh nice cool so i can pretend i have kind of squiggle they do they continue to to you know churn out their their program and get a lot of good uh good creators and are just good nft personalities um so you know i don't know it's hard to to doubt that they won't uh, be around for the long term yeah so we don't have affordable projects for you, so we might as well just share some of the tactics we are. But I'm actually, that's the NFTX, that's great. I'm like, uh, I'm, it takes a lot of 
uh, focus on my side, not to run off and just do that right now because I, I actually want to go shopping. So that's uh, that right in there. There's your there's your affordable project strategy. Drop on the NFTX if you can swap up. It's not bad. I mean, when people are looking for liquidity, sometimes they will will sell there, and you may not notice for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I'd actually noticed. Uh, well, why don't we move on to some <laughs> some news? Although there's not a lot going on right now in terms of news headlines, I would say. Um, you know, one one piece of news I wouldn't even call it that. I don't know that you know caught my attention was this uh, report here saying that generative art may not be copyrightable and. This isn't much of an article. You can, it's it's the, the original report. I haven't seen a lot written about this, but it's saying that generative AI art, because it's made actually by an algorithm, by a machine of some sort, rather than a person, it doesn't actually fit the requirements, the current requirements for making it a copyrightable piece of work. So I thought that was interesting. I, I haven't seen this discussed much. Um, that would, I'm not entirely sure how much that uh, that distorts the value we already know that you can make a copy of these things by by just right clicking on them um you know and i don't know that there's that a lot of people have even attempted to copyright them but i do find this this interesting and i'm not sure that um i'm sure we will see this broached at some point what do you think about this george i'm trying to understand in my mind how does you know the when we talk about cco creative commons and then also you know reserve rights and then the rights of use does this just undermine all of that potentially? So for instance, could I just go run and grab an autoglyph and then just start making t-shirts and you can't do anything because you can't copyright a AI generative thing? Am I reading that right? That is what it sounds like. And, you know, I think you can even say that most 10,000 character or 10,000 piece NFT collections are generative in the sense that an artist didn't put them each together. They may have created yeah. parts. And then they put them together. So I think that is still generative in this, in, in how they are discussing it here. You know, it's generated by, by code. So I don't, you know, I think this one's interesting and we are definitely going to see cases pop up to set precedent here. And I don't think that we, we really understand, um, how this will play out. Um, should mention that actually Yuga Labs just released the new license for punk holders. Uh, spelling out what they can and cannot do with their their punks. I, I haven't read into that in, in, in too much detail, but it, from what I understand, there they can and the holders can monetize their own punk in some way. But Yuga Labs is withholding the right to change the terms of this in the future, which. Hmm. Makes it quite difficult for for someone. I mean, if you were trying to use it as you know, as your fast food restaurant chain and use a punk in that, like someone's done with their ape, it'd be pretty hard to 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 set up the business around that, knowing that the terms could change at any point. If I'm being honest, this strikes me as the law not being able to catch up with technology. Like, for instance, I could I could see this argument have played out when digital photography first came out being like, well, you don't really own that image. The computer took it. It was stored on a hard drive. You just, you know, pressed a button, right? So I think there is uh, some space here for interpretation, but machine-aided creation and the rights that are produced as a result, like it tends to favor the, the creator and tends to, you know, keep with the the rights of ownership um, and sort of 
machine generated aided uh, art over a historical period of time. So this may just be a hot take at the moment and be changed later. That's that's what I see here. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I don't think that this is that we really know where this is going to go yet. I think we're going to have to see some cases play out to to get a better understanding of, of you know. Here's what I will say: will be said. If you want to panic sell your squiggles, I'm right here. You know my address. I'm ready to just take those right off your hands. Yeah, maybe someone can <laughs> dust you with a with a squiggle or something. I don't know how that works, but. right? Because those are all generated. Like hypothetically, like those are all generated. They're currently being put on soccer uniforms and being licensed. Like, um, okay, did you have yeah. to? Yeah. Well. Hmm. Speaking of squiggles, we'll talk about a little bit a new generative art project coming from one of the most well-known uh, artists in the space, Tyler Hobbs. He's got this new project coming out that is, I believe it's 999 pieces, and it's going to be sort of a collaboration between the um, between Tyler Hobbs. I'm sorry, there's two artists on it, Tyler Hobbs and Dandelion Whist. And then the holders of the mint passes will be able to interact with with the art before the final minting um these mid passes also don't ever expire so it's a very different uh project than what he did before and you know one I, I mean who knows how you know how the, the the final output will look but you've got to think that by users being involved there's a little more variation to what um may or the variation of the the quality of output than what may be there if it was just Tyler Hobbs, the artist uh, working on these. It says everyone's going to be able to play with the QQL algo to generate and, and play, play with stuff. And, you know, it, you know, a bunch of circles with that, like a bunch of bullseyes in different colors. looks kind of cool. Yeah, uh, I mean, we'll see. What, uh, imagine these are going to go for a pretty high premium, um, oh. even in, you know, at this time when, when the market seems relatively quiet. There will be a mark. I mean, sorry, an auction on his archipelago, archipelago uh, NFT marketplace, the generative art marketplace. Um, so I'm sure it's you know in part to get some more attention on that that marketplace itself. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty uh, interestingly. QQL dot art. If you're checking, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I'm not actually sure. You know, you can watch where that uh, you can watch the mint pass auction. Like I said, probably going to go at a premium. Um, you know, certainly not saying that's going not to be affordable, affordable <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe maybe interesting to, to keep an eye on anyway. And then we've got so fractional. Uh, fractional has rebranded itself to Tessera. Fractional art is a platform that allows uh, someone to sell to take a single NFT and then sell it as fractions, either as uh, ERC twenties new tokens, just coins, as opposed to and that or ERC seven twenty. Uh, 720s that would be actual new NFTs um, either way. But now, <clears throat> excuse me, it's rebranding to Tessera. Uh, they felt that the fractional name gave it too much of a DeFi as opposed to NFT uh, focus. So they have changed that. And uh, with that, they also announced a $20 million funding round from uh, VC Paradigm, a crypto VC firm. So um, that's, you know, we're seeing still money come in here. We're still seeing liquidity options. Um, it's one that I've looked at. And I think we even had, as we had mentioned. Yeah, the fractional punk, right? We did. Yes. The uh, the hoodie, I believe. Oh, I can't remember when we, we mentioned that yeah. one. And, <laughs> Dollar sign hoodie. <laughs> what was that one doing? 
Yeah, we should we should take a look at that. You know, I I, I don't know. I, I, this makes me more interested to see you know where these liquidity options go with NFT marketplaces in general. We've seen a, you know <laughs> we've seen some others pop up. So certainly, PseudoSwap will be talking about a bit more here. But yeah, it's uh, you know I, I like to see that there's other options than just selling uh, straight out on OpenSea. Yeah, and, and a way to, I mean, whatever the price actually is, but a, a way to get into these larger projects without needing to actually afford them. So yeah, exactly. I mean that that that's the other part. I think you know what some of the older you know very and we're seeing this, that some of these are just getting out of price range and we still think that they you know may be safer than getting into something brand new uh, you know i think we can see that this will uh, attract some new people i don't understand the rebrand though i really like fractional fractional actually like it kind of explained yeah, what you I, did right like i yeah, get fractional I got it Sarah, I, I don't, sounds like their generic internet jungle don't quite understand it i'm not actually sure if there's a meaning behind the new name and we have one last article here that's about how to trade on pseudoswap uh this is what we'll be talking about a little bit more we'll just talk about you know i can go over a little bit about what it is this is so originally pseudoswap was a way for people to trade uh kind of over-the-counter deals if you set them up in uh you know in discord or you know a dm discussion somewhere you could use this as sort of a third party to to hold the NFTs or, you know, even hold ETH and NFTs. Um, so they've now changed this over to a marketplace that allows you to, I mean, you can buy and sell somewhat like normal, but you can also, let's say, if you have a pool of, of uh, five punks, you could put them in there and say that you want to sell the first one at, at um, 50 ETH, the next one at 55 and, and go up five ETH for each one, or even go up a certain percentage. If you, um, there's different options there. Um, but then when you do that, it's also adding liquidity. If you do sell one, you'd have, there would be liquidity there. So someone could sell back at the, the lower price. So you would take a, you would get a earn a cut of the, the trading fees, essentially that, uh, OpenSea would generally be taking, although the fees are much lower on these, the pseudoswap marketplace. And one notable difference is they are not paying out royalties to creators, to artists. So that's definitely gotten some attention because they've done some pretty big numbers. What did you find they've, they've done so far, George? Well, I mean, they're talking about this quite a bit. So the, the overall question that, you know, we're kind of backing into is the, like, are these rights guaranteed? And you're like, oh my gosh, and like, we've talked about it before, but you're not guaranteed as a creator in the code a share of that transfer. I mean, this is uh, a contract that can be signed over, right? Yeah. So they have gone up. The, their total value locked in NFTs is now over three million. So we are talking about a pretty sizable chunk here. Um, and is you can share some, uh, can take a look at some charts around. I don't know if I have them up hand, but we'll look around. They're definitely cutting in to the overall uh, share of listings um, out there, and you know I think. This isn't something to be ignored. It's definitely, you know, it, it's something that has come up in the past, I would say, but this is a bigger, bigger issue because of the, how much uh, Pseudoswap is taking up the market compared to some other marketplaces in the past. Yeah. So, sorry, I'll give you some numbers for the, the context because that's important. Um, they jumped from about 120,000 to over 3 million in the last month. Uh, their liquidity pool skyrocketed 24, 24x, um, but they have facilitated over 60,000 
NFTs, over 29,000 transactions. Like this is, this is real. Yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of trades. And so how are they getting away with this? How is that working? I mean, they get away with it because it's not in the contract. They basically are, I mean, they're going to be tested, right? Like, here's what it is. It's not in the contract. It is not right. Hard-coded. And maybe that's a fault of, you know, whatever, ERC-20 of the, of the underlying layer. Should that be part well, of it? I don't know. I mean, it'd be pretty hard to make part of it for one. I mean, any, you know, anytime that, that would mean anytime you transferred an NFT. True. Anything, so anytime you move you a know, wallet and you're like, well, also, my, what do you, you know, what value are you paying if there's, you know, not a, if there's no, you know, financial transaction along with it, that's, you know, it's tough to say. So other, and if it's not there, then you've always got the option. You can always just do it, an OTC deal that would be, you know, I trade it for zero and there's something else, you know, we lock something else away that says it's actually for, for 10 ETH or whatever. Um, you know, so I think it's tough to enforce at the contract level. We've definitely seen that it's not um, always honored by by collectors doing OTC deals, but this is is a marketplace doing that. And you know, I think it's it's something that a lot of creators have have relied upon for ongoing revenue after the initial sale. So what do you do? Yeah, I feel like we keep talking about this current bear market a little bit like the dot-com busts and remember all of the like mobius and kazaa and all of this like with music rights coming out look the truth is like there's inevitably going to be dark markets that that rise up pop up allow you to electronically you know get that software get that music for for free without paying the creator like this is this you know story old as time kind of playing out like i'm shocked actually <laughs> This didn't happen sooner, but what's going to probably happen is they're going to get uh, buried under lawsuits. They're probably not based in the U.S. <laughs> uh, not needing to look too hard on that one because you'd get uh, lawsuits up the yik yak, and and that's what's probably going to happen. I I'm I can play this out in my mind either way here, and. One, it's like, it's easy to sort of paint, paint the picture of like the small struggling artists being like, look, this is how I make my money now and these ongoing uh, transactions and I should get a cut of that. Um, but then you can also show you the like the Yuga Labs point, like they have billions of dollars and like, did they really provide that much value for me to like sell this back and forth? And maybe you're, you know, disgruntled because the CCO rights like were changed under your nose as happened with Moonbirds and you were frustrated. You're like, well, they violated their promise to me. Well, you know, how much should I respect their promise of getting creator rights? The other side, I mean, I'll pause there. Where are you in that thinking? I can see both sides of it. You know, there is something to look, if there's demand for, for your project, there are, there are revenue opportunities. Um, it may not be, you know, it may not be always through royalties that it's, you know, and I understand that there's plenty of people that go around that. And at the same time, I think, you know, we're still going to see that OpenSea is going, despite charging a lot more, I think there's, it's still going to persist as the number one marketplace for, for quite a while here. And we're seeing that even most of the alternative marketplaces continue to honor that. So 
it's unclear to me how big of an issue it is, especially if holders are, if project holders are happy, if the, if the collectors are happy, you know, I think they're, they're more likely to, to honor this voluntarily in some way, you know, maybe, I don't know. I've looked at some things on PseudoSwap. I, I see that there's a lot going on. It's definitely select collections because a lot of the collections that I've looked at are not there. And I don't know if that's, you know, just slow to, to kind of migrate in some sense, in some sense, or if it's, you know, more of a, a preference for, for existing marketplaces. And I think in some cases, it's definitely a preference for, for, for what's already there and, and where the, the activity is. Um, you know, it's, it's a little different when you list on PseudoSwap too. You're not, and to me, it's, it's less of a, I mean, if you're trying to do a pool of them, you're not looking at these as non-fungible. They're almost entirely fungible in that way. You don't care which one sells for, for which price, you know, so to me, there's, there's still, it still lacks some things. And I, I understand this could all be an ongoing issue. And I still think the collectors and artists and creators will, are more likely to continue to choose to support projects by, by, you know, whether they're choosing to pay that or, or just, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, influencing marketplaces to continue to pay that. I think that's more likely at this point. Um, I mean, how do you see that going? One, if you're a collector of a project, let's say, you know, I've talked about Aquatars a number of times. I feel like it would have been a little disingenuous of me to have bought an Aquatar off of Pseudoswap because I've I'm going to intend to join this community. And guess what? This community depends on royalties to continue the promotion and work of this project going forward. So, you know, if you're joining that type of project that is, again, ongoing and sustained by, in part, those revenues that they have planned and hoped on, and you're joining this community, like, what are you, what are you doing? So you're really there sort of probably against the community's wishes, I, I would say, if you're operating there. Can you see that on the contract? I'm pretty sure you can. I, I think you can track down where that happened. Is that true? Can I find that on EtherScan? The yeah, I mean, you definitely well, you can see where it was right? bought or sold. You can see if any any yeah royalty was paid out at the time. Um, you know, it's hard for me to see that a, a the community getting that much, even getting that upset about it. I think it would have to be. It doesn't really feel like it's being taken as much from from you when it's one transaction, maybe. Um, and I don't know that people are going to look at it that way. But I guess I do mean that if, the, if most of the community is saying, you know, hey, this is where we prefer to, to transact because it does support the project and the, the official links are still going to, to OpenSea or to, you know, to, to whatever marketplace that they prefer to use because there are royalties, you know, that seem, it's going to make it seem like the official place to do it. And it's going to make the others feel a little unofficial. And maybe those are where you go when, when it's banned from the primary place, you know, as we've seen in the past uh, or we've discussed in the past, um, you know, but I, I think there is something to the, what does the community expect? What does the community put out to new collectors? Do they point them to PseudoSwap or are they pointing them, you know, more likely to one that is going to honor those royalties? So there's this, I, I want to park the thought of this is exciting tech and it's exciting tech for a particular reason I want to get to in a second. But I just want to put a finer point and warning because I think there are unintended consequences that somebody who jumps on the pseudoswap and buys into a project that has a tight community that knows how to use Etherscan and you intend to be or want to be a leader in that community, 
just know that your historical transactions are going to show that you did not pay the creator fee. And that's going to be discoverable. So if you intend to join in good faith a new community, I would have that in the back of your mind. If you're just buying freaking art and the artist, if there's no community, there's no ongoing utility going on there. These are kind of considerations that I myself am like thinking about when I look at PseudoSwap. So i like, do you agree with that statement? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could definitely see it being an issue at some point. And, you know, maybe that is go join the community beforehand, see what they recommend. You know, if, if, if people are doing it and nobody cares, obviously, you know, yeah. not a big like, issue. If you're an MF, MF or holder, like, God bless you, do whatever you want. They've made that clear in the community. Like, right. And I think there's also something to let's, you know, let's say you see something on there that is a particularly you know, something that, you, that isn't available, something else, and you really want it, I wouldn't hesitate from buying it mm. in that sense. Yeah. You know, you do have an option if you really, you know, if you really feel strongly about it, you can calculate the, the, That's true. Uh, the royalties That's to pay it. Yeah. I wouldn't pass up an incredible deal just because someone else wants to sell on that marketplace and, as opposed to another one. Um, but I, I think you're right in that it's, it's discoverable. And, you yeah. know, and I think that is part of you know, getting into, getting into the community. It's hard to, it's hard for me to believe that most communities are going to try to send, send people to three different marketplaces. It makes it, I mean, it makes it much harder. I mean, we've already seen this. It's harder to, to track prices when you're looking at many, at many different marketplaces and not all listings are consistent. So I want to come back to your explanation about this liquidity pool because it's a seller side liquidity pool and it makes them fungible. This tech, I think like, this is kind of like the footnote that should be the head note. Not that it's royalty-free, but the, this is potentially game-changing for how NFT project floors work. It's potentially game-changing for projects that could put seller-side liquidity and create their own floors and take royalties off of it. They could anchor into their own floor in a very real way with extra pieces. I think there's a lot of flexible things that could be done with this, right? Let's say you're launching your project and you're saying like, all right, we're actually going to go on Pseudoswap because you can set your own percent. Like you can actually calculate as a creator your own fee that you want from this marketplace that they will create for you. In the past, projects like MeBits dropped serious bank to create their own marketplace on their own contract in their own way. Like this kind of just does it for you. So I think, you know, I wouldn't throw, you know, babies, bathwaters, and contracts and, and pseudoswap out. I think there's like some, am I, am I right at this? Like, is there something? Yeah. I mean, I think you can almost think of it as, um, as a bonding curve of sorts that, uh, I mean, that, that doesn't have an end. I mean, this was, these were sort of popular, I don't know, back a year and a half ago or so with new minting projects where the price would gradually increase over time and a real bonding, bonding curve should allow you to sell back at a slightly lower price, or, or it could be even a higher price if, the, if there's been more mints since then. Um, and I think that's somewhat of where we're, what we're getting with this pseudo swap. Um, and I could see a collection if you're really intending to, if the collection is, a, is, is minted to just, or, or I'm sorry, the projects even created and with the intent of keeping keeping the funds in the system. I mean, I think there's some interesting things there where, and I did actually see one pop up. I think there's people playing with this idea where if you just keep it all there, I mean, yeah, got to trust that that happens and, and hopefully someone can guarantee that be somewhat concerned that, uh, you know, 
some of them might rug. I'm sure, I, I think I did read that a good number of projects have already rugged. Um, but if you can guarantee that the, the funds actually stay there, I think there's some interesting things, you know, and you could see that. Sorry, by rug, always... you mean they pull the liquidity out of the pool? Yeah. And what happens when that happens? <laughs> right? What happens? Well, there's no more liquidity. Who's buying? And I mean, hard to believe anyone's buying at that point. So, you know, I think that's something to overcome. If you can figure out how to actually get people's trust that they, or even a trustless way of doing this, where there's no way to, for the funds to come out. It could be really interesting that there's always money to buy back, but anybody could yeah. buy in and make it more of one of these MFers, you know, a, a sort of leaderless project that, you know, if it builds, if it's delivery and people are interested, you know, the price will move, but there's always a way to get out relatively yeah. easily. But to be clear, this system breaks if too many people sell into it. Liquidity gone oh, in that direction absolutely. too, right? Like if everyone takes you up on your offer, but that's why you talked about the bonding curve. And I actually just like, that's a term used, but I don't deeply understand it. And it's, you know, it, it's basically the relationship between the price and the supply of an asset, right? It just dynamically changes and right. it's configurable, right? So I could say if Each 10 new purchase things are sold, Go down by 10%. Or go up, yeah. you know, with every 10, it goes up by 0.1. Either way, you know, you can do different ways. So really the price will go down as, you, as people sell. So at some point it gets very, very low. I mean, that's also how it starts. The price is low and then goes up over time. You know, so yes, yeah, so, of course, if people, too many people sell, there's an issue. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. keeps just, I mean, it just drives the price lower and lower over time. It's... Again, there's something amazing here, right? There's a seed of how floors should work. Think about when, you know, we're talking about, you know, thick and thin floors, but it's ridiculous. You're looking at a floor and it goes up by like 0 0.01, 0 0.02, 0 0.03. And you're like, look, these are all the same freaking thing. How can okay. we better organize this? And then get into the rarity over and up uh, from there. But again, I see this as a massive tool for projects to do dynamic pricing. Here's, here's my play. I would set a ridiculous royalty fee, right? That I would expect OpenSea to do whatever the max is. I'd be like 30%, whatever. I'd be like, if you want to go there, 30%. If you want to come to my party over on PseudoSwap, 5%, right? Interact here. You price prohibit like any activity. Right. And you don't mean actually putting 5% in there. You mean that's just the, the kind of gap between buying and selling. Yeah, you own the marketplace, right? You own the right. the open seas. Like that is that is the that's the big moment for me. Being like, oh my, that is an open sea killer, because everyone can create their own mini open seas for their projects. That's that's yeah, I, I think where my head went on this. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think there's really something here. I think it's got to be. It's ideal for projects that set up that way. Not ideal for for projects that were set to. To, for projects that we're planning to get be funded by ongoing royalties. So, you know, can, we're I set up a, can I set up a little opponent? Can I set up some of this for my horses? Like, all, oh, man, all I wonder if they are on, uh, on Polygon yet. Oh, gosh. I get a, I get a fun bonding curve for that one. My donkey barn. Uh, well, the horse based economy will need, will need that sort of thing. So, it's coming. Digital horse based. I've, I've been racing digital ponies since, far longer than a lot of people for whatever reason is coming. It will happen. I there's still, that, that is still fine. Some rumors still doing uh, that there could be some, some, uh, sanctioned gambling coming to, 
to the ponies, to Zed, heard that they've put out some, some, uh, announcements that are barring certain states or saying certain states will not be able to participate in certain, uh, events. And those are ones that have particular, uh, laws against gambling. Well, there's a whole lot of others that aren't mentioned that are much more, uh, progressive about gambling laws. Nothing guaranteed, but doesn't sound, uh, doesn't sound that crazy that they may do that. Our partner with the, yeah, or just run well, the, their own sort of DraftKings thing, but make it digital horses. The, and, oh my gosh. It, it, look, people, humans like to gamble, right? Like that's one of the reasons I think keeping the NFT market afloat in many ways, <laughs> sadly right now. The, the piece there, the nuance that I've seen is that for paid races, you have to select your gate. And so that defines this like game of skill that they can claim <laughs> you're choosing a gate for your horse. For the free entries, you can do a quick enter and it just drops you into any gate. Like it's a great feature finally there. So you're not like getting rejected all of the time. And they do that specifically to dance with the legality of gambling versus game of skill. And that, that, that language is, uh, is choice actually. And how would you rate yourself as a, as a, in your skill of Zed racing? Cause it's just skill, right? <laughs> Marginally skillful. <laughs> <laughs> marginally skillful right, um, how do you feel about it being a game of skill versus a game of chance oh my god there's like look when you breed things together it's a roll of the dice you're betting like you know a hundred dollars on whatever that you're going to get a good horse and then you put it into this thing being like okay little algorithm how do you do against these other algorithms then you find the like there is skill in finding the race distance i, I want to be very clear and looking at the data and, and an aggregate there's skill but in the the micro there's luck right? Chance. Very much so. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's part of it. And that's the intrigue too. Like that's just fun, frankly. Uh, so final, like finally on the, on the pseudo swap, can you answer one more question for me on, on creating pools? Can there only be one pool per project? Do you jump in or there just anyone tons of these little pools with different rules? Some of these, there's different pools and people can set up pools either with just NFTs. Can you set up pools with multiple wallets? Or can it only be one address? Yeah, you probably could. I don't see why not. Um, mm. You could so you can do pools by setting just NF by putting just NFTs into them, saying just sell them at. You could do a pool where you put an NFT and ETH in, and say that you're willing to sell the NFT at you know one ETH, and you're willing to buy another one from the collection at half an ETH. Um, sort of, I mean, you see people sometimes do this in on OpenSea, just even much more manually of. Here I have the lowest listing at the floor, and I'm also willing to buy a collection off, you know, put a collection offer in at, you know, thirty percent under, you know, half the price or something like that. So there can be multiple pools. So I guess that would, you know, the margin's always going to to, to come down if more people are getting involved in it and see that there is an opportunity. Uh, hard to keep a thirty percent margin if there is if there's activity going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I will say I, I I was browsing and going through like. Do your homework on whatever item you're buying. Homework means go and look on OpenSea to make sure that it hasn't been suspended or there's not some weird attribute about it because it doesn't give you very much information about the item at all inside of there, right? It is, it is a very, it, to your point, it makes it fungible, but you actually know that each of these things is unique. So don't buy from there without doing the homework, checking the contract, going and looking at the asset, how it presents on OpenSea, how it presents on 
you know, looks rare, whatever you're, whatever you're doing. Like, you know, I would say that as a, as a big caveat, but I'm going to start checking now on some projects that I'm watching. Like I'm, you know, I'm still hawking after my, uh, my Nike, uh, RDFK artifact, uh, it's dropping there. Oh, it's coming to my yeah. buy price. It's, it's, it's hovering in. And I'm wondering if someone creates a Watch that knife falling. Careful. I'm just, uh, I don't learn from mistakes. I already told you that. Oh boy. I think this has been helpful. I think the people have gotten what they came for. I think we can wrap on that. All right. All right. Well, are you not entertained? Day. Oh, a reminder. Those of you interested in leaving a review, you can leave a review on Google Podcasts or Apple or whatever you're listening to. On Apple, though, we realized you have to listen to the episodes. We deeply appreciate people just leaving us ratings without listening. Like, we're okay with that, but I think Apple's caught on to that. So you've got to listen to a few, download a few before. So, uh, yeah, leave that review, download some on your friends' phones, then yeah, leave, do that. Them leave a review, you know, whatever it takes. Look, you got to be pumping your bags. And we're here helping you get your friends involved and then just, you know, pay attention to Discord and, and front run our announcements. I think we've made that pretty clear. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Andrew. I'll see you out there. This has been an episode of the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs. The episode notes and resources may be found at 3ANFT.com in our show notes. Again, 3ANFT.com. And that reminder, don't bet what you can't afford to lose. Remember, we are not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Thanks for joining us. I hope you learned something.